loving God, having uh, sung praises and heard Scripture proclaimed, we continue to come in hopes that we might hear a word from you speaking to us, providing us with hope and peace, um, and ultimately helping us be your presence of love, um, justice, mercy, and compassion in the world. We pray that the uh, words of my mouth and the meditation of my mouth be pleasing, or, well, meditation of, of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. It's not good when you start with the wrong words already when you're praying. <laughs> Our scripture reading today uh, is the end of the Gospel of Matthew, um, but we're following up in this series of this time after Easter. Uh, it's the season known as Eastertide, and throughout the kind of the church tradition, it's the time of the year when we focus on what does it mean to be the church. And so we thought this uh, time around, we would talk not just about what does it mean to be the church, but what does it not mean to be, like, what is the church not? So our sermon series is The Church Is Not, and then we have a series of blanks. And so last week, we talked about how the church is not earned. So if you want to write down, you missed us, or you can go back on podcasts later, the church is not earned. And it was kind of this uh, opportunity for us to remind ourselves that although we're charged with loving God together, that charge to love God first starts with God loving us. It's just a simple understanding that should just sink in, but sometimes we miss it with kind of our own sort of self-interest and our own desire to, you know, be the perfect A student. This week, our uh, church is not, is that uh, the church is not a show. The church is not a show. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. But first, I'm going to begin by talking about um, going to, and some of you know I'm a basketball fan, and I'm a Duke basketball fan. But you might not have known that before I went to Duke Divinity School uh, for graduate school, I cared nothing about I grew up in Minnesota, right? And it was hockey that we played. I mean, it was like you played hockey and then some people played basketball, but most people played hockey. And if you played hockey, you didn't really care about basketball. So it was the weirdest thing when I went to graduate school at Duke. It was like the introductory questions that people would ask you is, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And then they had two more because it was divinity school. They'd ask you what denomination you were, which was a really weird introductory question because I just wasn't used to people saying, hey, what flavor of Christianity are you as a way to itemize who I am. And then the other was, are you a UNC or Duke fan? It was very important that they knew who you were and where they could compartmentalize you into that. Um, but I remember that there was a distinct difference because my wife, Ashley, she grew up going to basketball games. She lived in Southern California, go to Lakers games, all that. So I actually didn't go to games for my first semester. Um, and it wasn't until Ashley had moved out. We were engaged at the time. She had moved out and she forced me to go to a Duke basketball game. And so I was like, really? Come on, I could be studying right now. Um, and, and as I went there and I went to the Duke basketball game, everything was happening and it was like, it was Fun and it was inspiring, but there's a transition that took place at some point as she dragged me to the games where I went and I just enjoyed the basketball to I went and I was participating in basketball, right? Because if you go to Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is a unique place in its own, you know that you are part of the game as a fan because the atmosphere of that stadium is like none other. And so is all 
college and, you know, professional home courts, right? You know, is that it's just like no other, that when you get to be involved and when you feel like you're given the team energy exactly when they need it and you're saying the right cheers and hopefully not doing too many of the bad cheers towards the other team, but you are part of the game. And it was that transition that had took place that made me go from kind of just being a spectator of something to, you know, being part of me that I'm like living out. And now I talk about it way too often, even on Sunday mornings. But the idea is that Jesus has this similar transition that he wants all of his followers to take on. We talked about how that we're gifted with God's love, period that God just gives us God's love. But there's a transition that takes place in the Gospels and in Jesus's ministry where he doesn't just give anymore, but he expects something. And the expectation is a super high bar. And the expectation is to go and to live out his presence in the world. And I, I talk about this as the craziest thing that God has ever done, and I believe it, and I want to reaffirm that it is the craziest thing that God has ever done, is that God came to be with us in Jesus, fundamental Christian faith value or belief. And then in Jesus's ascension, he trusts the church, you and I, to embody God's love in the world. In fact, we have this phrase that we use, the body of Christ. It's a reference to the church, the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about it over and over again, how we are the body, and each of us has a unique part, a unique uh, piece of it to play, where the hands and the feet, that were God's presence in the world. And I'll first begin by saying, if you don't start with being gifted that love and that authority that God gives, you'll never actually be the love of God in the world. So you always have to be humble in your approach to this. And at the same time, it is a heavy responsibility that God places upon God's people. And don't worry if you say to yourself, well, I can't do that. You find yourself in a long history of disciples, of prophets, of all of the people of God, it seems, go through that same inner turmoil about whether or not they can do this. Last week, we talked about how the chosenness of God begins with Abram and Sarai, and they too doubted and didn't think that God could do what God was going to say. And so they decided that they were going to make things happen to be God's people in their own way. Similarly, Moses, big figure, right? Says to God, sorry, you got the wrong guy. And then says it again, and then says it a third time. And then God finally says, no, you're the guy. And I'm going to give you someone because you keep saying you can't speak well enough to do this. You're going to have Aaron that's going to help you. It's actually the call of a prophet throughout the Old Testament is a threefold call because it's threefold because it has to have, you know, sink in and they say no and sinks in again and they say no. And then finally, they start to believe just a little bit that the words that, you know, the calling that they have to be God's voice in the world is something that they can actually do. You know, and we're not just God's voice, we're God's presence, right? And here in the last words of the Gospel of Matthew, 
there's a, a critical phrase, therefore go, therefore go. And one of the things that, you know, people like, and, and this is my, I'm bad too, and I'm going to charge us all for this, is that I, one of the languages that I use on a regular basis is I say, go to church, right? I'm going to go to church, or we have church this morning, and, you know, I tell my kids we're going to go to church and do all these things. But all of it's kind of built within this language that you come to the place where it's happening, and then you go from that place, right? So you go to the church, and then you leave the church, Right? And that has an understanding of the church completely backwards because the church has never been the building. When the early church gathered, they were known more as an oikos, which is a Greek word for extended family. Although there was a building involved because like the buildings in ancient uh, Jerusalem, they had like a center place where people kind of like drift in and drift out as they're like doing their things, whether it's herding sheep or doing the trades that they're part of. But these oikoses, these like homes that kind of people kind of came into and came out of were the heart of where the church was. The synagogues was the place people went to learn about Scripture, but the church was these homes, these people that knew each other and started to rhythm their life together. And it was never an isolated place. It wasn't like you went to Antioch to go to the building. You went to Antioch to go to Lydia's house and hang out with her crew and then get to know more about Jesus and go off to Paul or John or whoever's house is next. And so in our language, we have built into this notion that we're coming to a place to get an experience. But the church from the beginning and to now has never been supposed to be a place or never been supposed to be something where you go to it, you experience it, and then you leave it as you leave the sanctuary doors. Uh, another phrase that I, I was going to say is, the church was not to be a Hamilton concert or show, right? Where you go and you get all sorts of like new ideas and it's inspiring and then you leave and it's done, right? The church is our lives together, period. And our lives together are rhythms in this love of God, love of one another, and this going out together to be God's presence in the world. And so it's not too distinct or too unfamiliar to go to a church and to have some sort of mission statement that patterns itself as love God, love one another, and love the world, right? There's a thousand different itinerations of how churches describe that kind of way of being Christian in the world. But that, friends, that is because that is the way to describe what does it mean to be a Christian in the world. It's not very difficult, but sometimes we make the church into a compartment of our lives as opposed to our lives together. And the hope of this Easter tie, when we're talking about what the church is not, is to kind of break down this idea that sometimes builds up. And to believe that we are, we are the church. So uh, I, even this morning, was like, hey guys, I'm going to, oh wait, 
going to go to worship now, <laughs> right? Because I caught myself, and I do it all the time, right? But I want to try to change it just a little bit so that I can help my kids know that the church is not the place. Ashley will often remind them, Brian's going to work right now when he comes into the office during the week, as opposed to saying, Brian's going, Dad's going to church. Because we are the church together. And I use the word together because the church has never meant to be, has been never meant to be an individual endeavor. Because at the beginning of the launch of the church, Jesus says what? I am with you. And he sends out the disciples together. And like all people and all groups, you got some people that are like ready to go and they're like, yes, I got this. You know, you got, uh, what was it, John that was the fastest to the tomb in the Easter story. You know, he's like out the door and running and he's way ahead. But don't worry, don't worry. The disciples included, if you didn't notice, that they all worshiped him and some doubted. So if you find yourself as the skeptical one, as like being like, ah, yeah, John, you're really fast. I'm just going to kind of mosey on back here. That's okay. You, there is room for you in the go. Therefore, we go together into this journey of being the church. And as we go out, though, I, I want to be clear that one of the things that we don't do is go out to be God's judgment in the world or God's definitive voice of how God interprets the actions of the world. As Methodists, we hear a word, well, and not all of us are Methodists, but Methodists have the E word we talk about, and it's evangelism. It's like a curse word almost, because some of us get so uncomfortable with the idea of evangelizing other people, because when we hear the word evangelize, we hear the picket signs down across the street at the zoo of Waikiki, or maybe that's just where I always see them, where it says, you're going to hell, Right? Yeah, he's got a little microphone and walks around the streets of Waikiki and tells everyone what you need to do. And when we hear evangelize, we, we think of the people on, you know, the bike path and Kailua District Park that tell you how to get to heaven, right? When we think of evangelize, we think of the people that are trying to declare the way and declare God's voice. But go back just a minute to what I said, what is the church? The church is oikos. The church is extended family. The church is the Johns that are out ahead running and cheery, singing happy day, as well as the Thomases that are like, well, I guess I kind of believe this. And it includes all of us in between as we go, but we don't go out to tell people what they must believe. We go out to say, exactly what has happened throughout the history of the church. God's called us. And we're not good enough to live into that call. And if you want to examine my life, you're going to find the flaws. And if you want to examine the lives of my friends, you're going to find that we're not perfect. If you want to get involved in the church, you might find that sometimes it's political at times because relationships are just that. Messy. Always. But we're a community that is devoted to these things in our life together. Loving God, which starts with God loving us. Loving one another, caring for each other in the midst of hardship, praying for one another, 
fellowshipping, like parents' night out, and going out and having dinner together, or, and then serving together the world. And it's somehow in the midst of that rhythm when Jesus says, go therefore and be the church, that all authority of heaven and earth are given to us. But it's not because we're wielding it like a sword, but more we're humbly walking in it towards the next path. And the journey of the church is anything but perfect because the church, you know, yeah, well, if we go back and can go back to the Old Testament, we built a calf and started worshiping it. We did all sorts of crazy. Just like the church throughout the millennia has done all sorts of crazy. But somehow we continue this journey together of humbly walking into this responsibility to be the display of God's love and presence. And we know that God's love is beyond us and beyond the church. It's everywhere. But there's something about the community that's supposed to go, that Jesus gives this power to be this thing called the church, or I should say the body of Christ. And so we are called to do that, each and every one of us. And let me tell you this, you don't have to know the Bible in and out to be God's presence in the church. You don't have to know how to say the best prayers. I've met amazing people that have lived out the church that haven't prayed out loud, period, with other people. But we go together from the building of worship not because we've experienced something and then we're inspired, but we go from the building of worship, the sanctuary, to be the body of Christ, to be the church. And we're going to talk more about this rhythm of life together, about loving God, serving others, and living in Christian community throughout the next few weeks in our series, The Church Is Not. But this morning... I wanted to first begin after last week where said, you know, you should kind of walk lightly. God first loves us. It's not about us loving God. With the piggyback to that is that if we believe that, that God gifts us with this thing called grace, with unearned, and we start to live that in the world together, friends, you'll be a hope that people are looking for. To know that they are welcome, loved, and accepted as they are. And to experience that in a a community, those communities aren't found everywhere. And many of us know moving to the island, breaking into communities, or many of us find ourselves trying to keep those kind of communities together and this feeling that are we part of the group or are we really at home? So let us go and be the church, these oikoses, these extended families that invite others in, not to the right way, but to a way where we experience God's love together, a way where we experience the love of one another together, and where it doesn't stop with that, but we continue by serving the world around us. I invite you to pray with me.
Loving God, as we come to worship and to give praise, we acknowledge that we're also called, called to be the church beyond the walls of the building that we gather. And we trust that as we go, therefore, we don't just go alone, but we go together with our excitement and our doubts, and we go with you, that you promise the disciples that you will be with them always to proclaim the good news that you loved us first and that we're called to love one another. As you reminded the disciples, teach them the commandments. And of course, we remember that you only ever commanded two things. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Let us be the church. Amen.